Matthew chapter 6, if you're uh, open there as I should be and you're physically able, why don't you stand with me and we'll read a portion of God's Word tonight. Matthew chapter 6, we pick it off, pick it up in the verses, I'm not going to pick it off, I'm excited football's coming, pick it off. Verse 5, verse 5 is where we skipped uh, last week and so we'll pick it up in verse 5. And when you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Lord, we do thank you for your word that is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when you preached this sermon on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. As you ministered and shared with your disciples, Lord, what they needed to hear that day. (laughs) Lord, we need to hear tonight. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to respond that we might truly be your disciples. I thank you so much for this precious congregation. I thank you for the great joy and privilege it is for me to be with them tonight and to share the word this evening. Lord, may you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has been building the instructions to his disciples. He begins with the kingdom attitudes that we're to have. And we've heard them. We've listened. We're ready to obey. We're ready. We're ready. He then said, hey, hey, those kingdom attitudes are not to be lived in some remote Christian village, but you're to be salt and light in the community, in the culture that God has placed you in. We've heard that. We've been listening. We're ready. We're ready to be disciples. We, we've, we, Jesus says, let your righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees because they just were kind of keeping the outward parts of the law. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to go further. And he gives them six Old Testament examples of righteousness from the heart. And we've heard it and we've listened. To, we're ready to obey. We're ready to be disciples. Jesus told us last week, it's not if we give as disciples or not when we, it's not if, it's when we give. It's not when we, if we fast, something. It's if we fast. And we've listened and until now, we've been clear and we're ready, we're ready, we're ready. Are you ready? Oh, come on. We have to get a little Pentecostal tonight, all right? Are you ready? Ready? Ready. You can just say ready. That's okay. Ready. Kingdom attitudes, ready? Ready. 
Okay. Ready? Salt and light. There you go. Righteous from the heart. I like this. All right. It's not if you give, but when. That's a little tougher. That's, but you did good. You did good. It's not if we fast, but when. So we are ready to be disciples. Ready to do what? We're ready to pray, Jesus says next. Pray? How is that the answer to the question? Pray? Pray? Wait a second. Are we going to have a prayer meeting now? I thought we were going to do something a little more exhilarating. I thought we were going to evangelize now that we were ready. We're ready, so let's evangelize. Let's protest or something or preach. I mean, I thought, I, I thought this was one of the most important studies in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you serious? Well, if you guys are going to pray, well then, hey, I think I left the iron on. I've got to feed my dog, my oven needs. Isn't it strange as a church? And this is all churches. That whenever we get to the subject of pray, oh, I can get a crowd for preaching I can probably get a crowd for protesting. But at every church I've ever been a part of, man, the prayer meeting, the prayer meeting, sometimes it lacks a little participation. And that's odd to me because the one thing that stood out about Jesus' life to his disciples was his prayer life, gang. How do I know that? Well, you guys know in Luke's gospel, in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, we realize the study we're about to get into tonight, the study where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, it was in response to a question where the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, we want you to teach us something. And it's so interesting to me what they wanted him to teach them. I mean, Jesus did a lot of stuff. He taught amazing sermons, powerful studies. The multitudes would say, we've never heard a guy teach like this. But never in the Gospels, maybe they did, but never recorded in the Gospels do we see the disciples saying, how do you teach like that? How do you tell those funny stories? Those are how, we, we never read that. Jesus healed a lot of people. He touched people. He got rid of their diseases. But we never read the disciples saying, how do you heal? I mean, how do I get that voice inflection? Be healed. How do I do that? How do I work the hands? And How do I do that? Look, we never read that. We see them teaching or asking, Lord, teach us to pray. And what that shows us is that's what marked Jesus. You know, for example, no one in my 33 years of existence, no one has ever asked me to teach them to work out. Nobody. I'm still waiting for someone to come along and share, would you share your health secrets with me? No one's ever asked me that question. I am so wondering why no one's ever asked me about hair products and how to how to get that amazing look and no one has ever asked me that question now i know you're probably as confused as i am why that's never happened to me no you're not confused because that you know that's that's just not that's that's just not me but people find out oh you played golf when you were younger and I heard you were fairly good I do get asked on occasion hey can I get some pointers on the golf course sometimes people in ministry will say to me hey hey how do you study how do you prepare Bible studies of course maybe they're trying to avoid what I do but I, I don't know but, but, but some people will say because those kind of things are things that do mark me and you've got to see that because they came to Jesus and said would you teach us to pray 
You see, the disciples understood that it wasn't so much the teaching and the miracles. It was it, All those things were so important, but they flowed out of his prayer life. They were struck by his prayer life. It was foundational to them. And so he shows them as they ask the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And as he said with them, it's not, you know, if you give, but when you give. It's not if you fast, but when you fast. So too here, he's wrapping this up saying, as a disciple, it shouldn't be if you pray. If you ever get around to it, it should be something that is foundational in our lives. So what Jesus does, as he did, we looked at last week, with giving, with fasting, he first tells us how not to do it. He gives us the bad example and then he shares with us the way that we are to pray as we come to him. So what's the poor example? Well, look at verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret, He'll reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Jesus says, don't pray to be seen by men. Just, just like he said with giving, just like he says with fasting, it's not to be this show we do outwardly. Again, the poor example, the Pharisees. The Pharisees would go on the street corners at the time of prayer, at the time of lunch, at the time when the, 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 the streets would be packed, and they'd literally blow a trumpet and begin to pray. And people would watch them and just go, whoa, these guys are so holy. These guys have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. Jesus is saying, no, no, that is a, not an example. Now, you and I, we, you know, we don't have times of prayer at the street corners. We, you know, don't usually have, I don't think you have trumpets to play, pray. When you, I don't think that's what you do, but you know what? Sometimes, sometimes if we don't guard our hearts, we can pray for show. I've been guilty. I don't know if I've told you this story yet, but when I was a high school pastor here, oh, there was this girl who was a teacher's aide for our second grade class. Christy Apple was her name. It's now Christy Duff, so the story ends well, just so you know. But, oh, so beautiful, so amazing, but so godly. And I, oh, I was trying. And, and I wanted to impress her so bad with my walk with God. And so I noticed she was coming down the hallway. So there at the, in the office down there, down that hallway, I decided it was time for me to go to prayer. And I got on my knees. Now listen, if I was praying, Lord, please, this girl's so amazing. I'm so not. Please, just blind her eyes. That might have been okay. That wasn't what I was praying. I was praying so that she would walk by my office, look in the window, and think, now there's a godly man. What a loser. What a loser. I don't think I'm going to get reward in heaven for that prayer. Do you? No, not at all. You see, it can be subtle. We, we can be in a group and think, oh, I'm going to pray and I'm thinking about the words I'm saying and we're really talking to one another. We're not talking to God. It can be subtle. And Jesus says, don't you pray like that. Don't you pray like that. And then he gives them a model. How they are to pray. You see, oftentimes the rest of these verses have been called 
the Lord's Prayer. But you Bible students know that's probably a little bit of a misnomer. This isn't really the Lord's Prayer because Jesus isn't really praying. If you want a good example of the Lord's Prayer, well, that's, that's John 17. John 17 is Jesus praying and seeking the Lord and going for it with, with all of his heart. This is him modeling prayer. So I'm going to call it the Sermon on the Mount prayer as a model for you and I in what needs to be part of our prayers. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't think you need to memorize this prayer word for word and pray it. You can. Nothing wrong with that. But it's what it teaches us that is so important. This prayer is short. If you read it, it takes like 10 seconds to read. And again, you've got to get it because the enemy will trick you that if you don't block out two hours, boy, you're not really a prayer warrior. Oh, we can learn this from Jesus, this model of prayer. As we go through some things I want you to note tonight for you note takers, we see in this prayer God's person. We see in this prayer, if you don't get these, we'll go through them one at a time, God's purpose. We see in this prayer God's provision. We see in this prayer God's pardon. We see in this prayer God's protection. And finally, we see in this prayer God's preeminence. So let's look at those one at a time, starting with what needs to be part of our prayer life. Number one, we need to remember God's person or who it is we're talking to. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, friends, it is so good. It is so good for us to remember who it is we're talking to when we pray. Because we have trials, right? Real trials. And they're big. We have decisions to make that are overwhelming. And sometimes, boy, they seem like they're going to flood over us. That's why we've got to remember. We've got to remember who it is we are talking to. And I noticed two things in this phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First of all, he's our Father in heaven. The word that Jesus uses there for Father, it's Abba. Abba, meaning Papa, a personal, intimate name for God. And what's interesting to me about that is nowhere in the Old Testament do you read anybody using a phrase like Papa or Abba or Daddy to address the Lord. No, He's Jehovah. He's the Lord of righteousness, justice, purity. But now Jesus is saying, hey, you can call Him Dad. You can call Him Abba. You can call Him Papa. What changed? We know it wasn't God who changed. For God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Him is no variation or shadow of turning. It wasn't God who changed. Listen, It was our relationship to him that changed. You see, now that the blood of Jesus has covered us, we're no longer just part of his creation. We're told biblically we're sons and daughters. We have, we're his kids. And the relationship has changed. And that, boy, that blesses my heart. You see, if I ever had the opportunity to meet the president, really any president, but even our current president. I mean, put your political ideas aside. That would be an honor to meet the president of the United States. And if you would meet the president of the United States, I know for me, I wouldn't walk in the room and be like, what's up, dude? Hey, my dog. Like that, that wouldn't be how we would talk. And I certainly wouldn't call him daddy. That just, no, no. What's up, dad? That would be awkward. That would be weird because I don't have that relationship with him or any president. But if his girls walked into the room, well, it would be totally natural and normal for them to say, dad, daddy. Why? Because of relationship. It's why it's awkward now. My little girl, Aaliyah, 
She's in this phrase, this, 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 she, she loves to call me Pastor Jason now. Like, it's so awkward. She like, you know, she gets up in the morning, she's like, good morning, Pastor Jason. I'm like, stop that. That's not my title for you. No, no, I'm dad. And she just thinks it's so funny. <laughs> Pastor Jason, Pastor Jason. Bye, have fun at work, Pastor Jason. Yeah. Oh, man. It's awkward because she's my little girl. She's my little girl. We have that relationship. But again, to, to, to make the point even further, if I was in trouble and I would call the president, I mean, I could never like get through. It's like, Hello, this is my cell phone. That, that just wouldn't happen. But if it was possible and I said, I'm in trouble, he would say, call the police. Call the fire department. I'm not going to personally help you. But if it was his girls, well, then he would do everything physically possible to be there as soon as he could. Why? Again, because of relationship. And you've got to see that, precious ones. Because we are told by Jesus that we get to pray our Heavenly Father. Dad, in heaven, I'm coming before you. We now have this relationship that just as much as you or parents love to work on behalf of your kids, just as much as I love to work on behalf of my three kids, God says that is how I feel about you. You've got to remember it. We've got to remember this, that he's our Heavenly Dad. And more than that, not just our Heavenly Father, he's also the Holy God. Not only do I remember he's my heavenly father, he loves me and wants to move on my behalf, I also need to remember he's holy. Hallowed be your name. And I need to remember that because, listen, there's a tendency to sometimes be flippant. It's true that God is our father, our Abba, but lest we treat him like some teenagers may treat their father, whining, demanding, complaining, we need to remember he is a holy God. It adds against us being flippant in our prayers, but it also adds confidence in prayer. Because you see, listen, get this, get this. Not only do we realize God as our dad wants to move on our behalf, when I realize he's holy God, he has every ability to move on my behalf. You see, to use my youngest as an illustration again, my five-year-old daughter is still convinced that her daddy is the toughest guy in the world. Now, the other two have long lost that delusion. But, but my youngest, man, we're walking down the street. She sees something she doesn't like. Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, pick me up. She sees the big burly guy coming down the street. Daddy, pick me up. Protect me. Now, what she doesn't realize is if that guy wanted to harm her father, there's not a lot I could do. But, but, but I'd want to. I would die trying. But the reality is she'll get this soon, unfortunately. But the reality is her dad's not the largest guy, strongest guy in the world. That's why no one asked me to teach him to work out. That's just part of the deal. But listen, friends, our father, our father is the biggest dad on the block. He has the ability to deal with anything that comes your way. And I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know if you're facing major trials, if you're facing a worrisome situation, if you've got a decision to make that seems overwhelming. I don't know what it is for you. But I know when you pray, you've got to remember who it is you're talking to. Your heavenly Father in heaven who is a holy and powerful God. We need to remember His person. Secondly, we need to remember His purpose. He taught us to pray in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, as we pray, we not only want to remember who it is we're talking to, we need to remember that He has a plan for our lives. We need to remember the example of Jesus, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, He's facing the cross, He's facing crucifixion, and He prays, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to save 
Jason Duff or Mike Savigny. If there's any other way, let's go with that plan. But Mike and I are really glad that Jesus then added to that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. I'm glad he didn't decide, yeah, let's let Jason try on his own, see how he does. No, he said, God, I realize you have got a plan and I'm submitting my life to your plan. And friends, we again need to remember this as we pray. I remember who it is I'm talking to and it's okay to pour out, God, this is what I desire. This is what I want. This is what I think would be great. But so wise to then say, Lord, but here's what I know. You have got a purpose. You have got a plan. And I want to submit myself to your will in my life. Oh, I know you've heard it before, but we need to remember that prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get his will done on earth. Now you might say, but I don't know if I like God's will. I don't know if I like God's plan. I wanted that relationship and he took it away. I wanted that promotion and he said no. I don't know if I like God's plan. Can I say lovingly? You need to grow up. You need to grow up. I guess that wasn't loving. But you need to grow up. You need to spiritually mature, friend. You see, it's immaturity that says, Dad doesn't know best. Again, my kids, they're the star of the stories tonight. But my nine-year-old daughter, my oldest, she's in full sleepover mode now. Like a few years ago, I would watch you parents that sleep. I'm just like, I don't know what that's like to have a bunch of kids over. I know what that's like now. Boy, almost the first day school was out. Hey, could she come over? And, 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 and we, we put them in the room and they were like watching movies and stuff. And then I got up in the morning and they were still watching movies. And I was like, did you, did you guys go to sleep? No. And we're so excited. I'm like, oh, okay. And, um, you know, and, I, and, then, and then later, can we do it again? Can we do it again? And I said, sweetie, sweetie, sweetie. Here's the deal. Sleepovers are fun. It's fun to stay up all night every once in a while every once in a while. But if you do it too often, it, God gave us sleep for a reason. Oh, Dad, please. We'll go to sleep. We'll go to sleep. Okay, okay. Sleep overnight number two. We put them in the room, put some movies on. I went to bed. I got up in the morning. They were still watching movies. Oh, that day wasn't fun. That was the grumpiest nine-year-old girl I've ever met in my life. How are you doing? Fine. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, do you want I do, I'm tired. Of course you're tired. Dad, try to tell you this. Sleep is good. Sleep is good. You see, you realize that as you get older. It's why I don't understand. Why do they give nap time to the kindergartner class, but they don't let you high schoolers sleep? That's just opposite. When you're in high school, a nap is a great thing. When you're five, it's like, oh, I don't sleep. Why? Why? But I digress. The reality is this. You get older and you realize God gives his beloved what? Rest. He does. Sleep is good. When you're a kid, that's immaturity. And we grow up spiritually. And when we're immature, it's like, I don't want your plan. I don't want what you have for me. I know it's better. I'm going to let you benefit from the wisdom of my insight. Boy, we need to grow up. (laughs) Really. We need to grow up and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Because you love me more than I can possibly understand. And you're more wise than I will ever pretend to be. So, Father, would you lead and guide my life? When I pray, I need to remember God's person, who it is I'm talking to. I need to remember God's, God's, God's purpose, that he has a plan for my life. Thirdly, I need to remember God's provision. He teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, like, oh, you're not real spiritual if you pray for your own needs. <laughs> You know, if you're not spending time interceding for missionaries all the time, then you're not really a prayer warrior. 
Listen, it's good to pray for other people. But you need to pray for you. Where else are you going to go? You need to lift up your needs before the Lord. It's good to do it. Now, a thinking person would say, well, okay, but why? Why? Didn't Jesus say in verse 8, I already know what you have need of before you ask? He did say it in verse 8. It's right there. So if he knows what I need of, why do I need to come before him and, and pray? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, again, it does if you're a parent. Saturday mornings when I'm in town, oh, man, turn on the cartoons, let the kids pile on me. Oh, favorite part of my week. And then when my, my, my kids were younger, you know, they, they would look at me and I could tell they were getting thirsty. You know, they I knew what they needed, but sometimes I would just wait. Sometimes because, oh, Aaliyah, when she was younger, she'd look up and she'd say with me, those big brown eyes, milt, daddy, M-I-L-T, milt, milt, please. And when she would look at me with those piggy tails and those eyes and say, milt, my heart would milt. It really would. It would just, oh, and I, oh, I would love, I love to hear their voice. And friends, I don't think it's a stretch of our text to say, God, loves to hear your voice. He loves when you call out to Him. He loves when you begin to realize and recognize that He is what you need for life and godliness. You know, it's so good. We go to our friends, our spouse, our church fellowship, and we should be there for one another, but it's so good to realize it's in Him that is all we need for life and godliness. So He says, come to me. And then He says, come to me daily. Daily? Why daily? I mean, you're God. You've got like six billion people to look after. That seems a little crazy. I mean, wouldn't it be more efficient to just give off our monthly needs? Lord, I'm approaching you for August. Here it is. Or even better yet, one year at a time. Lord, 10 things for 2012. Here we go. I mean, that would make, to me, a lot more sense. It would be more efficient. But, But listen but it wouldn't be more effective. Because again, the Lord understands something. That really that relationship, that money, those clothes, that job, whatever you think it is you need, your greatest need, precious ones, is Him. It's to develop that intimacy and love relationship with Him. He could have worked it so we never have to pray. He knows what you need. And He's like, oh, guess what? Here's what you need next month. I'm going to need that? You are. Here He goes. That would have be Okay. He says, you need to be with me. And I love to hear your voice. So come to me. Pour out your heart to me. We need to remember as we pray, God's person, who it is we're talking to, God's purpose, He has a plan for our lives, God's provision, that it's in Him we need. It's Him that we need for all. We need for life and godliness. Fourthly, we need to remember God's pardon. God's pardon. He taught us to pray in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is so important when we pray to remember who it is we're talking to, to remember He has a plan for our lives, to to remember that He is going to provide for us, but it is also good for you and I to repent, to often come before the Lord and say out loud, God, this is what I did, if you're in your prayer closet alone, probably not out loud while you're with all of us, God, I repent of, keep that to yourself, but anyways, to say, God, this is what I did and it was wrong. So important, friends, so important. Again, some of you might say, well, why? Didn't the blood of Jesus Christ cover all of my sins? Absolutely. Wasn't everything I ever did in the future when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago? Yes, it was. 
Well, then why do I need to repent? I mean, I, I did it one time. I said, God, forgive me my sins, past, present, future. I'm good. No. You're good. You're going to heaven. It's so important to confess. You know why? It helps with victory, first of all. It helps with victory. See, the word confess, it's homo legeo in the Greek. It means to speak the same as. And what you're doing is you're agreeing with God. God, what you said in your word was wrong. I dumbly tried, and guess what? I agree with you. That was no good for my life. Oh, the sin was pleasurable for a season, but that worked out poor in my life, just like you said. And I'm agreeing with God. You see why that's important is that next time, next time, the old temptation, old slew walks around, and I'm tempted again. I'm on record, my own voice, saying, God, I agree with you. See, I can forget. I forget. I think I'm really not that bad. <laughs> and then I write down stories in my studies and I read them later and I think, I did that. I prayed in the office when Christ- just for show? A sinner. We forget. We forget. And so I pray and it helps in victory. Not just victory. It helps in the cleansing process. Because again, if you haven't memorized this verse, you've got to memorize it. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a verse. Such an important thing for you to hide in your heart because again, Satan is a liar. A liar. And you fall, you sin, you repent. And he comes and says, God hasn't forgiven you. God doesn't love you. God is done with you. God has no plan. And you feel like that's the truth. So you bust out 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, I did. I confess my sin. So guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, I don't feel good. I, I know it was wrong, but your word says I am cleansed, so I am. Because I confessed. You see, it helps with victory. It helps with cleansing. It helps with forgiving other people. You see, again, I can forget what a, what a wretch I really am. And so when then someone sins against me, I think, how dare, who is this person? Who is this person that would dare do something to offend me? Mr. Righteous, Mr. Pure. And then I start remembering all that I've done to hurt God. And all the times he's wrapped his arms back around me and said, I love you so much. And I begin to think, how dare I be so unforgiving? Jesus says this is vital. You know, verses 14 and 15 sometimes can scare people, kind of mislead people. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I don't forgive people, I'm not saved? Well, well, not in the sense like there's two steps to salvation. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then forgive and then you'll be saved. You Bible students know that's not true. We're saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ alone and our simple receiving of it. But what it is saying is this. If you constantly harbor bitterness and unforgiveness to other people, maybe you've never truly understood how much you have been forgiven. Maybe you have never really been forgiven of your sins if that's your struggle and you need to go to the Lord and you need to realize that you need to be forgiven and what will naturally happen is your heart will want to forgive those around you. We've got to remember God's pardon as we pray. We've got to remember who it is we're talking to, that He has a plan, that He provides, that He has pardoned us. Fifthly, we need, we need to remember God's protection. In verse 13, He teaches us to pray, and do not lead us in temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus also teaches disciples to pray for protection. The word temptation there in verse 13 would probably better be translated testing. For James tells us that God does not tempt, nor is he tempted by anyone. But we do understand that God does lead us into tests, and he does lead us into trials. And it's a good thing because that stretches us and makes us more like him. Okay, well then why would I pray God don't lead me into trials? Well, it's a matter of humility, first of all. I mean, who prays God lead me into trials? Who's, it, do you pray that? You need to book a counseling appointment if you pray that. That's, that's, that's odd. Don't, that's not what we pray. That's a real prideful person. It's like, I can take anything, God. Send it my way. I don't pray that. Neither do you. But listen, listen. If I pray, God, don't lead me into trials. I, that's not what I'm looking forward to. Please don't. And then, listen, listen. Catch this. Don't go to sleep on me. And then he does lead you into a trial. You see? See? I pray don't, and he does. Guess what now? Now I can do what James 1 tells me to do, and that's count it all joy when I fall into various trials. Because you see, I already prayed. God, if your plan is zero trials from my life, I'm into that plan. And he said, "Mm, you need this one, Jason. So therefore, I can stop. Oh, get rid of it, get rid of it. And I can change my prayer to, Lord, I already prayed to be exempt. You overruled my prayer. God, now teach me what you want me to learn. Help me to be joyful and embrace what you want me to learn to develop what you want to do in me because I've already prayed, God, keep me from this trial. I think we're to pray for protection from tests and trials. Jesus also teaches us to pray for protection from the evil one. It is a wise Christian that realizes the strength of the enemy, a foolish one that doesn't. When I first, when I first moved to Paris, Texas, this is great. When I, usually when you laugh at your own stories before you tell them, that's not okay. But anyways, I just did. Because it's, anyway, I, I first moved to Paris, Texas. We didn't have a Wednesday night service at first. So I, I decided to visit other churches. Just, just, to, just to meet other pastors, to see what was going on in our community. And I will never forget this one night. I went to this slightly Pentecostal church. And uh, I came in and sat down. And the, you know, the preacher comes out and he's like, Hello tonight, you know. You're like, how's that any different than you? It's a little different, believe me. And he's he's and he says, I got a word from the Lord. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I want I want a word word from the Lord. And then he said, Satan is coming here tonight. Excuse me? Excuse me. That Satan is coming here here tonight. That's what he said. And he's like, he's coming tonight. Satan told me. And I'm like, you talk to Satan. That's also not good. Also not good. But then the worst part, the worst part is he said, so here's what we're going to do, church. I want the ushers to get up and bar the doors so Satan can't come in. (laughs) What? You see, my Bible says that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors in one night. I think six ushers would be no problem for Satan. But this guy was, he's coming and God. Well, we got out there safely. Satan did not show up physically that night. Praise the Lord. But anyways, friends, understand, understand. It is not a smart Christian that says, I can stand up to the enemy. I can bar the door and not let him into my home. Foolish. Satan is more powerful than you. You don't need to deal with him. You need Jesus to deal with him. 
You see, it's a wise Christian that understands that you, you, you don't want to stand up to the enemy. But it's also a wise Christian that understands that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you say, Lord, I need you to protect me. I need you to wrap your arms around me and be my source. We need to pray. The story's told of George Adam Smith, a preacher but also a mountain climber. And he was on a high mountain overlooking Switzerland. And as he stood near the summit, a huge gust of wind came and it would have blown him off. But his guide grabbed him and threw him back on the ground. And he said, Mr. Smith, the only way you're safe up here is on your knees. And Mr. Smith came down that mountain and said, Lord, how true that is for all of my life. The only way I'm safe is on my knees before the Lord. We need to remember God's person, His purpose, His provision, His pardon, His protection. And finally tonight, we need to remember His preeminence. In verse 13, Jesus taught us to pray, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, just as the prayer began, focusing our attention on, off of who we are, off of what we're facing, and on to the Lord, so He does it here at the end. We remember who it is we're speaking to. We remember where He's at, that He's in heaven, a place where we will soon someday be. We remember that He's eternal, and our problems, praise the Lord, are not. It is so good to think about who we're talking to. To really think about what we're praying and what we're asking of the Lord so often, so often, especially as we grow, prayers can become rote. They can become routine. They can become simply talking to one another and not to God. If you've ever been to Hawaii, they have a term for you mainlanders say you like I'm not one of you especially you whiteys from the mainland they call you a howly when you get over there well if they don't like you that's what they call you if they work at the hotel they're probably nicer but the reality is howly is not a term of endearment it doesn't mean to love you bro that's not what that means where it comes from though is very interesting to me it comes from early on in Hawaiian history you see, before the Christian missionaries showed up, the Hawaiian people wrote in their histories that they would sit outside their pagan temples for hours, preparing their heart to meet with their pagan false gods. But then the Christian missionaries showed up and they'd watch these guys preparing themselves for hours to meet with the Lord. And they said, you don't have to do that. You just, they would say a few prayers, a few words, say amen, and they'd leave. And the Hawaiians began to call them howlies, which literally means without breath or those who fail to breathe life into their prayers. And when I first read that, I thought, I don't want to be a howly. <laughs> I don't want to be someone who fails to take a moment. It doesn't have to be hours. But a moment. Again, this prayer is 10 seconds. But take a moment to remember who it is I'm talking to. To remember that He has a plan greater than I could ever imagine. That in Him is all I need for life and godliness. That this is the one that has forgiven me and will forgive me as I come to Him and repent. That this is the one. This is the one that can protect me from trials and the enemy. This is the one who dwells in heaven where I will be someday. And I need to remember that and I need to pray. Friends, I really believe Satan laughs at prayerless preaching. I think he laughs at prayerless worship leading. 
I think he laughs at prayerless husbands who try to love their wives like Christ loves the church in the power of the flesh. I think he laughs at prayerless wives who think that they're going to be able to, to be that model and, 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 and submit and, and love and respect their husband in the power of the flesh. I think Satan laughs at single men and women that think that they can be disciples and love God and serve Him with all they are in the power of the flesh. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? It's not if you pray. It's when you pray. We need to be men and women who see the importance and just pray. Just pray. To do as Paul said, to pray without ceasing. Oh, I think the enemy says, you've got to carve out an hour. If you've got an hour, that's so awesome. Pray for an hour. But if you've got 10 minutes, you pray. If you've got 20 seconds, you pray. You keep in constant communion with your Father because there's no one like Him. Amen? Amen? Father, we come before You tonight and we pray. We pray not just because that's what a pastor does before and after a study, but we pray because we want to be Your disciples. Lord, I want every time I step on this stage, and I know Pastor Rob desires every time he steps on this stage, and anyone else that does, we don't want to just speak empty words. Lord, we want to pray that you would move in power from this pulpit. Lord, as we worship you, Lord, we have so many talented men and women to lead us in worship, but God, we don't want to lean on natural ability. We want to meet with you and enter into your throne room, and so we pray God, may we meet with you. Lord, as husbands, we pray that you'd give us every gift we need to love our wives like you love us. God, those that are wives, I know we pray, God, would you give us every gift we need to to be the wives you're calling us to be. God, for the single men and women, we pray. God, you give us the ability to love you and follow you and be that young man, that young woman, that older man, that older woman who's following you in their season of singleness with all of their heart. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to lean not on our own understanding, but to pray. And God, I pray for your precious saints that we would be men and women of prayer, but I also pray tonight for anyone here anyone watching online, anyone that will listen to this study at a later date, I pray anyone here in these words that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that Father, right now, right now would be the moment that they would surrender their heart to you. You see, friend, as we have this attitude of prayer right now, and if you are a believer, I just want you praying. You partner with me. Pray for people in this room. Pray for people that are watching at home. But if you're here and you don't know the Lord, if you walked away from God, I know we've been talking all night, really our whole series about how to be a disciple. But you sense in your heart there's a distance from God and I want to tell you He loves you. You may have met Christians that are hypocrites and don't live up to what the Bible says, but you have a heavenly Father who loves you perfectly. And He wants to draw you to His side and He wants to start a relationship with you But you've got to be willing to say, Lord, I want you. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. I want to be a child of God. 
And if you're there tonight and you want to give your heart to him, hey, Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. So maybe right now, if you believe, it's time for you to confess. Just something in your heart between him and you that says, God, I love you. I believe in you. I want you to cleanse me of my sin. I want you to teach me what it means to be a Christian. For Lord, this night I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.